Now the reading. If you'd like to follow, it's going to be on page 22 of the New Testament in your pew Bibles. Now at the festival, the governor was accustomed to release a prisoner for the crowd, anyone whom they wanted. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Jesus Barabbas. So after they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus killed. The governor said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what should I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? All of them said, Let him be crucified. Then he asked, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he could do nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took some water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Then the people as a whole answered, His blood be on us and on our children. So he released Barabbas for them, and after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. In this season of Lent, we are walking through a series that there's another way. Because life can be frustrating and can be chaotic. We could be um, at a loss for what to do, and we could be frustrated that all of our attempts to figure out how to make our ways forward in our world uh, get thwarted. But we are thankful that Jesus offers us another way, and we've talked about that there's another way to read the Bible last week with Jesus and the temptation story. And on Ash Wednesday, we talked about that there's another way to be religious, about having that clean heart, um, and also being called into action and to serving God with things like confession and prayer. And so today, we're, we're talking about that there's another way to be political. And I first want to just note that that makes it feel like a big elephant in the room. We all get a little bit scared when we talk politics, and um, I, I want to want calm your fears. It's not going to be that because there's another way. And uh, I, I always want to tell this story when I talk about something about politics. My oldest daughter, when she was about 18 months, we went home for Christmas. And as happens in many homes at Christmas, all the Lifetime movies are on with all those Christmas movies and, and things are going on and Gwen's just playing. And my stepdad enters the room and as maybe you know someone that does this, they he comes over to his chair, he sits down in his chair, he gets the remote and he changes the channel. And suddenly there's cable news and there's politicians on the screen and, and Gwen's just playing with her back turn and she turns around and she goes, uh-oh. <laughs> and that's the feeling everyone has in the room, oh no, here we go. Uh, and so sometimes that's on the screen, but sometimes it's dinner conversation, I go, why did we have to go here? Um, and so we all have a little bit of a fear and animosity or, you know, kind of frustration uh, around how divisive our political world is, that people seem to just be attacking one another and, and the level of discourse and civility seems to have um, disappeared from whatever used to slightly exist. And um, I, I first want to just mention that when we talk politics, it doesn't have to be partisanship, that usually when we talk politics, it's about just Here's the platform of the candidate or the party that I like. Um, but politics is something we can't avoid because it's how people living in groups make decisions. And we all 
are around other people, and so we have to make political decisions. We, we do things that are political. We just don't always call them that because we're used to thinking about them as partisan issues. Um, and so we're not just talking about politics because it happens to be Michigan's primary week this week. We're talking about politics because we're always involved in them. Every Thursday night, we support that people deserve to have uh, soap and laundry detergent and razors. That matters. You know, on Wednesday night, we're gonna have a shared meal. You're not saying, well, I'm gonna have my meal and I hope you can get your own meal, but we're gonna have a shared meal together. You know, we, when we arrived today, maybe you parked in the bank's parking lot next door that they allow, they allow us to use, which is a, an amazing neighbor, or you parked in the city parking lot out front on their parking spaces. Both of those, like, that's all political. Uh, thank you to the people who let us park in those spaces. Uh, we have, a, across the street, a lot of construction going on, and low to middle income housing is going across the street, and we're glad because that means that, you know, everybody deserves a, a safe and clean place to live, and we're grateful we're gonna have new neighbors. And we support Love, Inc., who one of the things that they do is, is they help people who need identification to receive benefits. They help them get the certificates and the forms and everything that they need and the, the fees to get processed. And, and that's political too. And, and you know, we, when we take our offering, we don't pay taxes on it because of our system. And just everything we do is, ends up being wrapped up around how groups function together. But we don't always function together well as a group and as a community and as a city or as a state or as a, as a nation. And often when we talk politics, it, it goes uh, into some bad places. But it's not just because we happen to always be wrapped up in politics that it's worth talking about politics. We can't tell the story of Jesus without talking politics. We can't even talk about him being born without talking about it. Because Luke has that there's a census that forces his family to go on a journey to have Jesus in a different place. And in Matthew's version, there's a king who doesn't like the idea of another king, and so he orders the killing of babies. And we have Jesus talking about the kingdom of God is at hand, and that blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And you have him talking about, well, all nations are going to be judged. Did you take care of the poor? How are the imprisoned treated? And of course you can't talk about Jesus without talking about politics because what's coming up on Holy Week? Being judged as an enemy of the state with a sign saying, hey, he calls himself a king. And that the Roman Empire says there are no rivals. And if you want to be a rival, we will execute you and we will publicly shame you so no one else will dare come up against our political power. So we can't help it. The story of Jesus is political. But what's hard is we say, oh, please don't talk about politics. But if we want to talk about Jesus, we have to talk about these things. But we don't have to talk about them the way that the world talks about them. And so Jesus invites us into another way. And so I want to give the context of our story today. Uh, and one why we're talking about this text today. There is so much amazing material that happens in Jesus' last week that 
one week on that last week doesn't do justice. And so some of that material gets teased out and we're gonna address it along the way. But Jesus in this story has been taken to be under trial under Pontius Pilate and the religious authorities in Jerusalem uh, have brought charges against him. And they've kind of put Pontius Pilate in a bad place because they're saying, he calls himself a king. What do you think the emperor will think if you're lenient on this Messiah? And so Pilate is trying to decide how to go forward with Jesus. And Matthew tells us, and it's actually something that's in all four Gospels, which is always uh, something of note because they all tell their own versions of, of, of what stories to include. But all four Gospels talk about that Pontius Pilate had a practice of pardoning one prisoner during the Passover festival. So you get one person. Who do you want me to free? And so Pilate, in our text, twice asks the crowd about who they want to free. And so Matthew 27, 17 says, So after they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? And later the governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And I feel like in our political world where everything is polar opposites and you only get two options, we can appreciate Pilate saying, hey, you've got two options. Who do you want? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? And so what is that option? What's that, that question on that decision for the crowd and for us? Jesus Barabbas um, is interesting because his name is interesting. This is the only gospel that calls Jesus Barabbas, Jesus Barabbas. In Mark and Luke and John, it's just Barabbas. And actually, as you look through almost all of the ancient manuscripts, hardly any of them say Jesus Barabbas. There's a few old Greek manuscripts, and there's a, a Syriac text. And then the early church theologian Origen gives us a note about it, saying, that early Christians found it so detestable that Jesus' name would also be on other names of sinners. And seen as this kind of rival option of who do we want to pick from, the, the fact that he had a common name, Jesus was just the Greek form of Joshua, you know, it's, it's a name that a lot of people might have had at the time. Well, Christians didn't like calling him Jesus Barabbas, so he just becomes Barabbas for most texts. But he is Jesus Barabbas in Matthew's version in the earliest forms. And so uh, the name Jesus or Joshua is about that the Lord saves, the Lord delivers. And we're going to get two very different forms of imagining how the Lord delivers and saves people. And so Jesus Barabbas, it's not just his first name that's interesting. His last name, it's not really his last name, but his, the name he's known by that's also an addition to his his name there, Barabbas, could mean son of the father, and if you like good options here, Jesus the son of the father, or Jesus the son of God, also God the father, you get these two options of names that are very, very similar, but people whose mission and way of bringing about God's kingdom are altogether different. Who do you want to save? Well, Barabbas why is he even imprisoned? We know why Jesus is being imprisoned and why religious authorities are, are, are trying to undercut his ministry. There's an interesting way in which all of the Gospels talk about what Barabbas has done. He and Matthew is, is said to be a notorious prisoner. 
And Mark and Luke talk about his activity as leading a violent insurrection. So he's like, we're, he's like a zealot. He's like, we're going we're gonna to overthrow Rome. How many swords, daggers do you have? Let, all right, let's go take out some troops. Let's go uh, take over. And so he's starting some sort of violent insurrection. But Matthew settles for the word notorious. But that's kind of our English word. Matthew just uses a word for well-known. But well-known means different things to different people. So to the Romans, he's the notorious prisoner. But to some in this Jewish crowd, he's the well-known prisoner. Maybe they think of him as a Robin Hood type figure. Sure, he's breaking the law, but he's helping the people who are being oppressed. He's helping undercut these powerful people. Uh, And so maybe the crowd see him as a well-known figure that they, they want to see free. And so he's leading violent insurrections, and we know this language distinction and conversation. Is he a freedom fighter or a terrorist? And that matters based on your point of view. So Barabbas is this violent leader who has other bandits, other people who are also involved in his activity. And a lot of the the early commentaries and early church fathers about the Gospels Suppose that the other thieves, the bandits on the crosses next to Jesus, might be people along that movement of Barabbas. That you get the leader, you want to free maybe, but there's other people being tried for the same thing. And so in this story, you have the option. Do you want to save the leader of the violent insurrection who's going to overthrow Rome and bring about God's kingdom through violence? Or do you choose Jesus of Nazareth? And Jesus, he also wanted a revolution. He wanted God's kingdom to transform the world, but he did it in a very, very, very different way. And I think we sometimes forget, yeah, he really wanted to change this this world. And in Acts 1, we see the disciples all looking around like, hey, where's that overthrow of Rome? Like, I haven't seen it yet. He said, hey, stop asking the one questions. Be about what I'm sending you to do. Uh, But Jesus prays, and we pray every week, let your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it already is in heaven. You know, it's, it's this prayer that God's kingdom might take effect and rule, which means the downfall of the other kingdoms, that they subside as God's kingdom rises up in our midst. But Jesus acted out for that kingdom in a very different way. He changed the world through love and through sacrifice and all of these things that don't feel like how to overthrow the political establishment. But he just loved people. He's like, hey, whoever that person is that you're ostracizing, whoever you're, you're considering as the marginalized, whoever you're, you're suppressing, they matter. Their lives matter. I'm going to, to love them. I'm going to treat them with dignity. And he didn't then turn and say to the oppressors, you have no place, but you were invited into this new community. You can repent. You can see that you can actually be one of us. You can be alongside of us. All people can be in God's kingdom. And it's a a flattened kingdom where there's not the hierarchies of power. And so people are invited into uh, God's loving, peaceable kingdom. 
And I think some people, maybe even us sometimes, some people think of Jesus' way of bringing about change as weak. They think the Barabbases of the world, yeah, that's power. You've got to take it by force. But Jesus is more powerful, and we need to change the way that we understand how power looks. Uh, many of you know that I love movies. A movie that got an award at the Oscars this last year for best adapted screenplay was Jojo Rabbit. It's the story of a 10-year-old boy growing up in Nazi Germany. And this kid wants to be a good Nazi. Like, that's the story. I mean, he's 10, he's growing up in that culture. He's being trained to be that thing. His imaginary friend in the story is Hitler, a 10-year-old boy's goofy form of Hitler. Now, the story's tension is that his mom is hiding a Jewish girl in their home. And he has to come to grips with what on earth it means that this, this, his mother, who he loves, is not living out the political ideologies of the time that he lives in, and, and what do I do with this, and, and is this Jewish girl in my home, is she a full person or not? And in that story, and if you know much about kind of the history of World War II era uh, German life, as a parent, you can't just say the Nazi party is bad because you can be at risk to be taken off to a camp. And so parents could be afraid of teaching their kids a different way of life. And so their kids are being raised into this world differently than they think, but what do you do about it? And so in the story, Jojo's mother is trying to find little ways to talk to him. And one of the things that she tells him is love is the strongest thing in the world. And the 10-year-old Jojo says, I think you'll find that metal is the strongest thing in the world, followed by dynamite and muscles. And that's like the way the world thinks. I mean, it's, it's the 10-year-old kind of funny character saying it, but we think tanks and power and, like, and, and metal, all of that stuff, that's what power is. But Jesus showed that power was through love, through being able to be strong, and through being vulnerable, that sacrificial love could change lives in a way that a violent attack would, would never do so. And so we often struggle because we think of power in that metal form, in that violent form. And there was a, a politician that was asked, you know how divisive all the politician campaigns and all of that are, they were asked, hey, things get ugly. Are you going to be ugly or are you going to do something different? And their answer was, when they hit us, we have to hit back. I feel that. They go on to say, there's two ways of doing it. Turning your cheek, but I wouldn't be sitting here if I turned my cheek. If I said, okay, let them just keep hitting at me and I, I won't do it, they wouldn't be interviewing me right now. And saying, I, I wouldn't have this platform, I wouldn't have this position unless I hit back. You could turn the other cheek, but then you lose. And then he says, but you know what? You can't turn your cheek, to which the audience in the room all start thunderously applauding. And while we know as Christians, we're like, hey, I shouldn't just reject Jesus' teaching about turning the cheek. We still are tempted into that same world, that the way you get power is through violence and through attacking and undercutting your opponent and that there's no other way that, that, of course, you couldn't actually turn your cheek. But I think 
We mistake Jesus' views as weak when they are not. For Jesus turning the other cheek was not about just being a a whipping post. But Matthew's version of, of Jesus telling that story says, hey, if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them the left. Well, unless on that right cheek, unless you have a lefty attacking you, you've been backhanded. And the offer is, hey, treat me like an equal. I've got another cheek. We're not above and below each other. If you're going to attack me, attack me as an equal. You can't treat me as less than. And the same kind of thing of, hey, if someone asks you to take their pack a mile, which they were legally allowed to ask for, hey, just keep walking. Go another mile. And see as they start to get afraid of, oh no, are they gonna say that I asked them to go too far? Of do everything you can in nonviolent ways to show, hey, we're equals. You don't have power over me, we are, we are the same. And all of these little ways of showing power through love and through sacrifice are what helped Jesus change the world. That's what leads to a cross that it's not a violent overthrow that happens, but saying, no matter how much you attack me, you can't actually defeat me. But love wins, and, and there's Resurrection Sunday still to come. And so, even in our story, Jesus doesn't retaliate. It said that you know, Pilate had, had brought all these questions, and, and the, the religious authorities were throwing out all of these accusations, but it said that Jesus didn't say anything. He gave them no answer, it says, not even a single, to a single charge, and so the governor was greatly amazed. Jesus recognized the oppressive powers, and he actively resisted them, but not through the path of violence or hate or anger, but through love and dignity and compassion. And so we have a choice. Do we take the path of Barabbas? There's a lot of violent paths. Uh, Do we take the path that says, I'm going to, to attack, to live out a violent lifestyle, which is sometimes physical, but is also verbal and emotional? You know, when you feel really puffed up about your position on something and you say, I, I'm just going to share this little meme on Facebook. I'm going to, I'm going to really get that person I disagree with. I'm going to share this thing that's, that's ugly and, and is putting down the other person as ignorant or as, as awful. Do we want to play that game? Do we want to hurt people? Because we often go that direction. We slander people. We misrepresent them. We spread false information about those who disagree with us. Many people see Christians' behavior of choosing the Barabbases of the world and have said, I don't want any part of church. I don't want any part of this faith if that's what the fruit of that looks like. And it's on each of us to show a different way, not to just throw ourselves into this political fighting and attacking and hating each other, but to follow another path, that there's another way that Jesus offers, and to go through love and dignity and compassion. Because anybody else exhausted by the political world of our time? Anybody lost a relationship or had a relationship hurt because of these disagreements and these fights? 
Anybody find themselves more fearful or angry randomly all the time? Uh, As we hear all of the discourses and it builds up fear and anger instead of love and compassion. Maybe we can find another way and follow Jesus and not Barabbas. Maybe instead of hiding from important conversations, we can learn to speak to those who disagree with us. Imagine that. We can actually still talk. Maybe instead of shouting at each other, we listen to each other. Maybe instead of realizing we have ideas that, that, that don't mesh, and so we shouldn't even do anything, we should just be in a stalemate. Maybe we learn to work together for a better world. Maybe we are willing to actually admit as Christians that our Christian identity matters more than if you're a Republican or a Democrat or American or some other nationality. Like what your identity in Christ is what matters first and foremost. And if we are Christians, then we should be able to love and to be civil to those who are different than us. So I, I hope that we hear today that Jesus is incredibly political, but not partisan. He was not you know, a, a, a sounding block to just start throwing out all of the kind of Roman uh, propaganda. He wasn't giving the propaganda of the Jewish religious authorities. He was proclaiming God's kingdom and not human kingdoms. And that's good news because God's kingdom does not let you down. Can we resist the temptation to be consumed by fear and hate and choose another way, a better way? Choose to stand up for the weak among us, for the dignity of all people. Pilate asks each of us, Matthew asks each of us, God asks each of us, who do you wish to set free into this world? Jesus Barabbas and the path of violence or Jesus of Nazareth and the sacrificial love for all? Would you pray with me? Lord, many of us are in the space uh, who have experienced pain, who have experienced being mocked, or or ridiculed uh, for the way that we try to follow you in the world. And Lord, we ask for comfort and for courage to go strongly in your way of love. And there's also many of us in this room who, um, in moments of weakness, have lashed out and pain, who have lashed out verbally, uh, and who have cut others down or other people who, who we disagree with down. Lord, we ask that you would turn our hearts to you and that we would offer your love in a way that is civil and, and dignified for all and that we wouldn't choose a path of violence but would follow you uh, even when it means to our own pain, knowing that it is you who gives life and can restore and renew us even when others try to break us down. Lord, we ask that you move our hearts and that you continue to move our hearts as we continue in our worship. It's in your name that we pray, amen.